Okay, guys, let's get started. So a massive welcome to everybody who's joining us on Facebook and joining us um, here today. We are on our sixth webinar today. This is our sixth webinar, which we started back out in April, um, really at the beginning of the pandemic. And the reason that we started these webinars was to look at lifting the lid on how different industries have been overcoming and rising to the challenges and opportunities brought to us by the COVID pandemic. So again, a big welcome to everyone. This will be available on YouTube and you'll be able to catch it on our podcast as well. So today's webinar is looking at the recruitment industry and COVID-19 has really pushed this sector into a digital new world with teams are onboarding new starters remotely and fully virtual recruitment processes from start to finish. So we wanted to find out how a company is able to source the best talent in these times when there are no recruitment fairs and no face-to-face -face gut feeling. How are companies ensuring that there is a diverse talent pool to choose from? And how do you source the best talent in today's digital age and this new normal? And what's next in recruitment? So today's webinar is a really fantastic one. We have really packed it full, as many guests as we could fit in a one hour webinar session. We will cover lots of different viewpoints. Um, we're dipping into lots of different areas and we're going to break this webinar into three different parts. So the first session, I will be um, joined by Dan Doherty. He is Attraction and Recruitment Manager at Capgemini and Rob Romans, Global Resourcing and Recruitment Specialist at SGS. Both Dan and Rob have been hiring during this difficult time. Rob is responsible for all senior and strategic recruitment projects at a global level for SGS. And he'll be talking about how the team of recruiters, 160 recruiters, um, have been looking at their challenges and the wins that they've actually found during this time. Dan from Capgemini, Global um, Attraction and Recruitment Manager, is going to really talk to us about a candidate's perspective as well. Um, they released some candidate surveys over this pandi uh, pandemic period. And I'm really excited because he's going to share some great stats and bust some myths around this topic and look at things, as I say, from a candidate perspective. Then next up, I will be joined on our virtual stage by PepsiCo. An EMNZD Talent Acquisition Director will join us along with Maria Katsunu, Talent Acquisition for Campus Projects Europe at PepsiCo. They're going to be giving us some great insights regarding their current launch of their campaign, Dare to Do More. And they're going to talk us through how they've been developing new strategies to ensure they are recruiting in a diverse talent pool. And then we will move to Stefan Bigal. He is Global Head of Recruitment at Volvo Cars. And we're going to be looking at the changes that Volvo teams made in terms of in-housing and looking how that affected their overall strategy, which they believe has helped them during the COVID crisis. So there's a large agenda for us to get to. So I will get started with Dan and Rob. So a big welcome to you both and thanks very much for being here. We really want to understand a lot from both your um, perspective and as I mentioned, Dan being able to have a look as well um, from the perspective of the candidates, which is a really interesting um, position to look at as well. So I really wanted to um, first kick off around the major changes that you had to make. Um, Dan, first, um, you know, looking at things from your perspective, 
what are the major changes that you've had to make? I mean, how much of what you were doing was digital before the crisis? Dan? Yeah, so um, a lot of our attract... Can you hear me, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, a lot of... Sorry, it's a bit of a delay. Uh, a lot of our um, attraction um, uh, activity was quite digital focused before um, COVID came around um, in terms of our presence on, on social, our, our digital interactions, um, programmatic ads um, and online events and webinars. So um, we probably didn't see too much of a swing or change since March. Um, we've probably just done a little bit more of that because of the restrictions in doing things face to face. Um, I think where the biggest changes for us has been in the assessment selection piece. Um, we were doing digital interviewing um, and it was the assessment centre which was normally face to face that's now become digital. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been the most significant change for us in that transition that happened in March. And, and was it quite quick to make that transition to, to virtual assessment centres? Yeah, we managed to do that within um, five working days, which was um, partly our preference and also to remove the um, the opportunity of the business looking to postpone recruitment or move start dates out or, or even remove demand. So we wanted to kind of make sure we kept the, the delivery there for the business internally. Um, we, we did that through uh, Microsoft Teams. Um, whereby we were able to actually replicate our face-to-face assessment centres uh, exactly uh, almost uh, into into Microsoft Teams. Uh, we ran a series of uh, some testing. Um, we ran a lot of briefing sessions with the assessors um, and continued to do that with, with new business lines. Um, and also the sessions with the candidates were ran out of Teams itself. And interestingly, some of those students were familiar particularly in the graduate recruitment space uh, with teams because the universities were using microsoft teams as part of their lecture delivery as well um mm-hmm. so it was quite testing because of the time frames um but we've um, continually sort of looked to um have a second iteration of our microsoft teams delivery since then um and i'll come back and, and talk about microsoft teams a little bit more depth later on Fantastic. A, a really quick change there. Rob, um, what about yourself? Um, you know, there must be some changes that you guys had to make pretty quickly. Well, I mean, I think one of the biggest transitions we had to face um, was going from holding face-to-face interviews to doing everything virtually. And in fairness to the company, everyone brought into that way of doing things just automatically. Um, and it's worked out so far. So just to put things into context, if I go back to the pre-COVID world, which was like quite a long time ago now, I mean, if we wanted to organize a face-to-face final stage interview session, for instance, it would normally take us about two to three weeks to sort that out, particularly if you had to get people to a certain location in Central Europe, get everybody's diaries aligned in terms of um, the people who would attend the interviews. and we had quite a lot of logistics to sort out but in this day and age where we're doing everything online we're doing everything digital that problem's just completely and utterly evaporated um and the good thing is um we're not having to wait around now to get things done and to get things moving forwards um all we need to do is quite simply is jump into teams or zoom um, and then set everything up and that long timeline we once had has just completely and utterly disappeared, um, which does bring us its advantages in other ways. 
Yeah, definitely. So you would say you've been able to increase the speed. I mean, two to three mm -hmm. weeks um, is now something you've been able to do in a couple of days, perhaps? Assuming people are available, then yes. Um, I mean, one thing I noticed very early on, when I said this must have been around the end of March, beginning of April, we were running an interview process um, for something and there was a candidate I was talking to um, and this person was interviewing with another company and that company was moving their process at a lot quicker speed than we were for this position. And that for me was the warning moment, the wake up call really. Um, I mean, we all, I mean, I think it's fair to say everyone on this call can appreciate what digitization can do, what automation can achieve. We knew about it, but that for me was the, the light bulb moment in a way really, mm. because it just summed up how quickly people were moving and it was a lot quicker than normal. Um, and I mean, we are generally very efficient with our processes, but when I saw that somebody was being a little bit quicker, I thought, right, okay, we need to um, up the tempo a little bit here. Um, so yes, I mean, this is it. I mean, if you are just clicking buttons, sending emails, um, using an ATS system to help you, you know, self-schedule candidates, for instance, then yes, a lot of time and administration has been taken away. And assuming people have got the availability to talk quite quickly, which they really should have if you plan things properly in advance right from the start, um, then yes, processes will be completed in a considerably quicker amount of time. Um, and that, of course, does um, create capacity for taking on more work. Yeah, absolutely. And giving you the ability to make sure that you don't lose um, the, the, the best talent, the candidates that you want, because somebody mm -hmm. else is moving faster than you. No, and um, I mean, just looking back on what's happened over the last six months, um, I mean, have we lost any candidates because of having a 100% digital setup? We haven't. Um, typically, when we've been interviewing people, um, they've looked at the bigger picture and life beyond the pandemic. Um, they viewed the um, job interview as an opportunity and they've either decided to take it or not. I mean, if people have dropped out of the process, um, the most common thing we've seen is because people um, just really do not want to change jobs or they feel a little bit uncertain about moving around in a pandemic, which to be fair, um, we can all emphasize with at this moment in time, really. So if anything, um, what we've been going through over the last six months has, I mean, I wouldn't say just for, for us as a company, but I'd say for the industry in general, the talent acquisition is that it has emphasized um, the um, benefits of digitization and automation. Um, in a way, for some companies, it might have crystallized a few things. For a few companies, it might have brought forwards a few things they were thinking about. Um, the key thing is now is how do we embrace that uh, with moving into the new normal? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's really interesting. Mm. Dan, from, from your perspective, um, you know, there's, there's comments there from Rob saying the only reason people dropped out was really because they weren't perhaps in the right frame of mind due to the uncertainty. Um, you know, how do you feel about that and, and the digital process? Have you felt that you've lost any candidates because of a new setup or, or what's your thoughts around that? Um, we, we haven't. I think uh, within, within early careers, um, I guess it may depend on how they've been attracted in. So if, if the engagement and touch points has been, um, uh, you know, regular and it's, um, 
uh, and, and if they can see from a um, you know an employer branding perspective that we're still you know we're still working we're not um, you know laying off people there's still an opportunity to, to join the, the organization um, uh, I think what we we've probably found is that um, they've been more loyal um, in the latter parts of the process um, the attendance rates moving to virtual have gone up to 98 percent at assessment centers um, yeah which has created some some great efficiencies and obviously means that our, our hiring rates are, are, are that little bit higher um over the course of the year um we found that their response rates to completing digital interviews um through through higher view um had actually dropped in terms of an average day response so i think we saved at least one day um for every candidate on average um by the time they responded and completed the actual digital interview so if you're recruiting on volume that one day extra in terms of time to hire can can make you know a, a good efficiency difference um i think our what we noticed as well is our registration of interest pools have, have gone through the roof um as well organically um it seems like that younger generation in particular that i work with um are much more um aware of what is out there now um, than perhaps maybe in the last year five years um that might be helped through digital platforms social media more more content that they're available to, to access and engage with and um, i think from a mindset perspective that younger audience are much more aware of kind of the news um how you know sort of the current climate and, and politics etc affect their future and they're probably a little bit more engaged and maybe wanted to have more control over what their next educational, further education or, or, or sort of first job or experiences will be. Um, and I think um, digital allows us as employers, but also the individuals to have much more frequent, less time consuming and probably more rich conversations than we would have had to have on campus or indeed in schools. Um, there is a, a caveat to that, that obviously nothing beats face to face, but if you balance that out with um, social mobility um, barriers being being slightly removed, uh, being able to perhaps have more people working remotely offers opportunities into cold spots as well. So there's kind of these these pros and cons really with with us having to transition towards more digital rather than just going from face to face to digital. Um, but um, I think what we found, and there were some stats we were going to share. Uh, I think. Um, uh, a bit later about how receptive our younger audience have been to a digital process. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, it's really interesting to hear from obviously um, the recruiter side, which which is what we're hearing from from everybody that's on this this call. But you guys did a survey, which was actually going out to the candidates. I mean, tell us a bit about the survey and 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 and, and really the results of that. Yeah. Yeah, so so we, we went out to both um, our candidates that have been through our process, but also um, had been involved in face-to-face um, assessment centre processes, recruitment processes with other early careers employers over, over the years. So it was not deemed a Capgemini-specific survey, but we wanted to get their views on having been through the virtual process and having been through a a physical on-site process with an employer what their preferences would be so one of the sort of um uh, pertinent questions that we asked was okay you're given the choice to go to a virtual assessment center and a face-to-face having done both with different types of employers 
Um, but in this circumstance, you've got the same role, same location, same salary, the exact same opportunities in front of you. But given the option to go through this door, which is virtual, or this door, which is which is tangible, physical, what would your preference be? And, and interestingly, what our assumption was that perhaps the candidates would be fairly split um, and evenly split, but actually only 19% of that early careers audience were actively preferring face-to-face. Uh, over 40% actively said that they would definitely prefer virtual. Now that could be based on the experience they had with us or their employers virtually, um, but that was a bigger percentage than we expected. And the rest said they weren't fussed. So to have only less than a fifth say that they wanted physical on-site assessment centers as their strong preference uh, was, was a shock to us. What also married up with that was um, when we said the question, asked the question, uh, whether they thought face-to-face or virtual had, um, on a scale of one to five, um, which had given them the best chance of portraying the best version of themselves, uh, we expected virtual to be much lower than than face-to-face. Actually, what came out was a 4.2 out of five um, for virtual and 3.9 for face-to-face. I think that is partly because of them being able to be more comfortable in their environment, they're in their bedroom, like like me. Um, you know, it's it's on their home turf, so to speak. It's not the daunting going through the big doors or the, the employer. As much as you can make that um, in, endearing, you can make it you know really comfortable for the for the person. You know, those nerves will still be there, and and maybe that virtual setting allows them to portray themselves just that little bit more. And we all know in recruitment that little bit more might be that little bit more they need to secure an offer. Um, so that was really interesting, and I think um, um, you know we've we've sort of capitalised on that, and we've looked to see how we can further enhance our our delivery of the virtual assessment centres going forward. Yes, really, really, really interesting, and, and quite surprising um, that the numbers really do favour um, the digital world more than more than I thought, and more than many other people thought, I'm sure as well. Um, Rob, I mean. You were talking about 100% digital world. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? What do you think the future holds for recruitment? Do you think uh, 100% is something that would be uh, a possibility going forward in a, in a permanent sense? That's a really interesting topic and debate, and there's so many different ways we could answer that one. Really, um, I think it's fair to say, really. I mean, when we're able to go back to doing face-to-face interviews, that's what happened. But Crucially, um, what we do need to embrace is how digitization will allow us to attract people um, and also how we interact with people as well. So, um, I mean, if you think about it, talent acquisition is about planning for the future. Um, and one thing companies should be doing is sourcing people they'll need in the future. So one of the best way to do that is to develop engaging content um, where people can engage with your brand and you use that to develop um, a talent pool, so you create a talent community. The idea being that um, when you do start working on roles, you have a pre-qualified talent base um, to um, tap into. Um, So that is certainly one thing. Um, I think looking at other other trends as well, I would say linked to this, is um, if you look at um, some of the um, new ATS systems that are out there, 
they allow candidates to self-schedule interview slots. And candidates like being able to have that freedom of flexibility, and it certainly saves a lot of um, email traffic, I'll mention that. Um, and the good thing is, from our perspective, is that it frees us up to do what we're paid to do, and that is to source talent. So trying to cut away the administration basically enables us to cut away at the top of the funnel, focus on the candidates you know, we need to be focusing on, and allow us to spend more time business partnering. Um, and I think just looking at the world generally, one of the biggest challenges we're going to face caused by COVID-19 is our approach to internal mobility. Um, one thing we are seeing at the moment is a lot of um, people unfortunately being made redundant. And I think it's fair to say this is going to be a growing trend throughout the remainder of 2020 and into 2021. Um, what is this doing? It's creating a massive talent pool. Now, what this highlights is how agile is a company's approach to internal mobility. How likely and how much do um, companies want to upskill and reskill their talent or, or perhaps take on talent that's been let go from another industry and be prepared to take that on and train it up. Um, and I think, I mean, there is possibly one argument out there that some companies are a little bit averse to um, spending money on training courses and development. Well, this is something that's probably going to have to change because we're going to have a lot of people out of work, people who are quite capable of working. You know, redeployment is going to be a, a very big trend, really. So, yes, internal mobility is the um, other thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've yeah. Some really good points there, um, Dan. What, what do you think about the the, the future? Hundred um, percent digital process. Um, well, back to sort of survey findings. I did a bit of a poll on LinkedIn a few weeks back, particularly for the early careers um, UK um, sort of network and. Again, I was quite interested to see the results of this and, and they did surprise me again. Um, again, this is a small data set. We're talking maybe 50, 60 responses, but um, it's not a bad starting point. Um, we we asked, you know, going forward, um, from an early careers employer's perspective, your assessment centres in particular, will they be, uh, will you be delivering 100% of them virtually? Uh, will you go back to face-to-face -face or will it be somewhere in between? 39% um, said they would be going through to do 100% virtual delivery, wow. which could mean a fully digital end-to-end -end process for those early careers new joiners into the business we know they're receptive to the process but obviously we've got the um you know the sort of the the zoom teams fatigue piece to, to bear in mind the mental health issues etc that that could accompany um a, a fully digital remote-based working young population who've got nothing to compare it against i think in some respects those who've been working face-to-face -face on the ground in roles you know uh, people like ourselves on the call we can probably be able to compare and contrast the two working worlds they can't they you know they, they don't have that level of experience so it's going to be quite interesting to see what their experience is then with the face-to-face -face world in, in years to come um so 39 percent said 100 percent virtual 29 percent said they would do 50 to 100 percent virtual assessment centers 
Um, 19% said they would do less than 50 and only 13% said they were going to go back to do full-time 100% face-to-face assessment centres. Only 13%. So COVID has maybe sped up this digitalization of assessment centres. Maybe it's thrown us a curveball that was always potentially coming. Mm-hmm. I expected it to be much higher than 13%. It could also, we need to bear in mind, this could depend on sectors it could depend on role types some assessment centers may be quite um the roles they might be hiring might be quite physical they might need some sort of uh, tangible type assessment centers i'm thinking maybe if there's assessments that are to do with manufacturing or 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 some practical assessments that that will only determine whether you're a good fit for the role by doing that in a in a real environment um but i think you know selfishly from a, a technology sector perspective um you know we're already um, working in that space anyway in terms of what we do day to day but there are some caveats we do need to bear in mind um, that the fatigue um, the adjustments to um, you know mindsets and things like that um, particularly for that younger audience that might be coming into the business as I say with nothing to compare it to which could make it potentially uh, difficult but it could add to some sort of complacency as well yeah absolutely you're never really thinking about only having experienced that world and then what does that what does that mean in the future if we if we come back to more of a, a physical presence really really interesting points um dan and and rob great stats great points you know we're talking about efficiency and time um which i think is is really there efficiency and costs and speed um really important points we've got to move on really really great to hear from you um both thank you so much um and now we move to the next part of our webinar. So now we'll move to PepsiCo and their in-house team is led by Amen ZD. She's Talent Acquisition Director at PepsiCo. And um, we are both joined by Maria Katsunu, which I'm sure I pronounced wrong again. So I apologize. <laughs> and I even asked before how to pronounce uh, her, her name and I'm sure I've done it. I've done her a disservice, but apologies for that. Um, but she's leading Europe's Talent Acquisition for Campus Projects at PepsiCo. So we've just heard some really great viewpoints um, and some really interesting stats and, and, and strategies around how other companies have been looking at um, diversity, inclusion, recruitment, the digital world. Um, Imen, tell me about the overall strategy PepsiCo has for diversity and inclusion. Sure. So I, I think there's, uh, we are taking the two words very separately and, and we are really focusing on like one doesn't fit all uh, in uh, in diversity and inclusion for PepsiCo. I think like we are really focusing externally on the diversity and targeting diversity through analytics and, and, uh, and uh, attraction campaign that we can have. But um, when they're inside, we're also like focusing on the inclusion and, and mix, making sure that the, the process is inclusive, that the onboarding is inclusive. So I think we are really taking this diversity and inclusion as, as, as one strategy uh, that we are really working on with talent management. Uh, it's one team also behind, behind uh, uh, this strategy and, and linking what talent acquisition is doing with talent management internally, basically. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, talking about COVID, we've just heard about how that's impacted, obviously, Capgemini um, and SGS as well. So I'm wondering, it's impacted everyone and everything. Clearly, meeting candidates in person for interviews has not been possible. But are there any other activities that you had planned that have been affected by COVID? Any other changes that you've had to make? Well, I mean, the, we really went through the same roller coaster that uh, Danielle and, and Robert described, and, and I think like accelerating technology was 
of course, our reaction. Um, but when you face, and, and Maria can give you some really uh, good example of like what we did for campus, when you're facing, you're entering your campus season, and we had all the agenda ready for all our campus visit. Everything was perfect. And Ma was like ready to go with all the great material. And then you can't go to a university. So yeah, that was for our team pretty challenging uh, to suddenly have to like, because even when we were ready to switch to a more digital approach, university were not ready. So like they were struggling to deliver their classes online. So for the promotion uh, on of, of like, and the visit were not really on their on their top priority. So for us, that have been a really big challenge. I don't know, Mara, if you want to add something on this. Yes. So effectively, I mean, all campus university visits and recruitment fairs are a core part of our early careers agenda all throughout the year and a really key part for us for the promotion of our uh, programs. So as Simon mentioned, uh, at first it was a bit challenging for us because with the whole uh, COVID uh, pandemic, we had to rethink and shift uh, all our live events to virtual events and achieve the same uh, results as we would have uh, as uh, the initial plan was. And so, but I have to say that uh, we were able uh, from, uh, even from spring, to make this uh, shift very quickly uh, we attended various recruitment affairs, uh, very uh, big recruitment affairs focused on early careers uh, in spring. We engaged with students from more than 80 schools all across Europe, which was uh, great. And it's something that only a virtual event will allow uh, on the same day. Uh, so overall, uh, it has been um, a roller coaster when we made uh, this shift, but in the end, we have had a really positive experience. Actually, today, this morning, we were participating in one uh, virtual fair, and uh, we so we hold webinars, we engage with uh, the students one-to-one, we pass the resources online so they can check at the same moment and ask specific uh, questions. So overall, levels of engagement have been very high and it was a very positive experience uh, in the end. Great, yeah. I mean, we, we just heard earlier as well that it's quite surprising, but um, there does seem to be a higher um, attendance on the um, virtual events, um, which is really interesting. Yes, exactly. Because um, basically only virtually you would be able to visit uh, many universities at the same time because normally uh, for live events you would uh, go uh, maybe to some specific uh, universities to attend uh, their own fair but with uh, this kind of events that we participated in we could engage with uh, students from many different universities all across Europe which for our programs uh, was uh, very effective because we have uh, many graduate positions from many careers all across uh, Europe. So this was a great it's a, it's a big teamwork also. I think we, we have the chance to have a very engaged talent acquisition in exactly. each of the business units. So I think one also, again, to resonate with what I've been said before, but uh, we really turn around and try to equip our uh, local team with some tools on like how to be more resilient, how to deal with like this move of everything online. And, and we had a really an amazing reaction of uh, all the TA in all the region in Europe being super supportive, being engaged on all the uh, the shift to digital agenda. So we, we have been really working as, as one team behind the scene and was uh, was really, uh, really nice to see. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that kind of touches on one of the advantages really that we found from a 100% digital approach, the, the advantage for people to be able to attend more fairs and that also um, there is a higher attendance rate. Are there any other um, opportunities or advantages to a 100% digital approach? I guess it's, uh, we also went to like push the agenda on gamification, uh, which uh, help with the uh, diversity in um, targets that we have. So we are like trying to, to stop the bias that we could have during the, the classic hiring process. So going through a gamification is, is decreasing the bias during the process, uh, going to like more diverse university that we will not normally visit also. Yeah. Uh, increase the the chance of diversity for us. So we've been trying to to play around to like increase those diversity targets using the the digital approach. Yeah, and I guess that really touches um, really on the on the dare to to dare to do more challenge. Sorry, tongue twister. Um, Mara, tell us tell us a little bit about the the games and and, and what is that challenge. Yes, so basically the Dare to Do More Challenge is a special process that we have in PepsiCo for recruiting last year students and uh, recent graduates. Uh, so basically it's an open innovation competition and it's done uh, virtually. There are various countries uh, participating and offering graduate programs from PepsiCo. So students, recent graduates, in order to apply, uh, we ask them to send us uh, their ideas uh, on the next big food and beverage trend and how they would take the idea to market. So in this way, um, we are steering away from the traditional recruitment uh, processes and we are asking actually uh, candidates to um, innovate and uh, in this way we can assess their uh, potential and also other uh, critical skills uh, that are uh, very important for the business nowadays that if we were using the classical CV approach, we wouldn't be able to uh, identify. And um, as Simon was saying, uh, this year we have been investing a lot on technology and we have added new technology enhancements in this process in order to make it uh, as uh, fun uh, as possible. Uh, so we have added some uh, new games uh, there that um, you have developed uh, for us uh, from uh, Appetite Solutions. Uh, so basically we have added uh, some games there and the objective was to uh, help candidates learn more about uh, PepsiCo brands and culture uh, in a fun way, create moments of fun in the recruitment process and not just um, have it as the assessment, but actually uh, boost candidate experience, create moments of fun and make this an actual learning uh, journey for the candidates. Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, and, and thank you for including us. Yes, we have helped you um, create some identification. <laughs> and I think it's really interesting to think about it's the candidate experience during that, um, you know, process, being able to understand more about the brand and also have um, a good digital um, engagement. I know there was a planned uh, live event, certainly when we started planning um, with, with yourselves last year, COVID wasn't even a word that we would even have heard of before. Um, I, I don't know now, do you think that the, the uh, European finals will be in a, in a live event or I guess you don't know yet? 
Yes, so the last stage of this process that I was talking about before the Dare to Do More were exactly the European finals. So we, the idea was to have a two-day uh, live event. So for now, the date is set to summer 2021, but of course we will reevaluate depending on the evolution of the COVID pandemic. And this is subject uh, to change, but we cannot know for sure uh, at this moment. Yeah, we will always put in priority the security of, exactly. uh, of the people that are coming visiting us. So we are going to be pushing this as long as it's needed to not have any challenge. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, um, it could be done online, but it would be nice to be able to have uh, people in person. Makes sense. I mean, this is a fantastic um, way to look at creating a more of a diverse uh, candidate pool. I know that's a real priority, Umen. Uh, what are some of the other initiatives that you've you've got in place? So we have a, a couple of campaigns that are going to be launched next year. Uh, one that is called also Ready to Return. So we are targeting people that had breaks in their career uh, and wants to come back to work. So female that had like maternity, long maternity uh, leave or, or male that had a long maternity leave too. Uh, so we are looking at investigating what are exactly the need in our business unit. Because as again, as I said at the beginning, we don't want to do one campaign fit all of the need in Europe because we know that there's some diverse uh, needs. So we are really in the phase of, of looking at the analytics at the moment and considering where are the challenges in terms of bias and how much can we change the um, the diversity that we have and what are the points that we should uh, uh, implement in, in each of the BU. So um, looking at that, of course, gender is one. Age diversity, as we are talking about uh, uh, the campus and the graduate young graduate uh, recruitment. Um, we are, of course, uh, looking at different uh, um, like diversity in, in diversity of thought. So people that are coming from different backgrounds also. Uh, yeah, this is what, where we are exploring. But we are really focusing first on, on looking at what is the need, how we can define a diverse uh, company and, and then making some very um, targeted activation and campaign around it. A really, really targeted uh, campaign based on on those priorities, and I can see that that's um, a real a real strategy that you're you're putting out in place there. What do you think about technology? I mean, obviously, we're using quite a lot of new technologies in the Dare to Do More. We're scanning barcodes to create points. We've got um, different different areas of technology there. You know, web based apps. What what's next for PepsiCo and new technology? So we're definitely accelerating the technology and I think that's exactly what uh, all uh, our competitors are doing also. Uh, but I think we are looking at technology more on the end-to-end -end basis, on like uh, of the hiring manager journey, of the candidate journey, and, and more like trying at the moment. We really, we are not into trying too many new technology uh, because I think uh, we, we have uh, a, a good set of technology, but more integrating them in, in uh, a candidate experience or so hiring manager end-to-end, -end, making sure that all those systems talk to each other uh, and don't create complexity instead of uh, making the process a bit smoother for the person that is uh, going through this. Sure, sure. And I guess there's so many different learnings as well from moving to 100% digital um, onboarding, from looking at the, the dare, to more, dare to do more, all of those virtual fairs. I mean, there must be a lot of different learnings and analysis. 
Yeah, but I think one of the points also is like not to take decision uh, a bit too quick. Like uh, one of uh, the, the leadership team, for example, looking at, at uh, the sitting space in, in uh, the office, they are not really willing to take decision based on only six months of, okay, we are entering in a new normal. And I think uh, in the recruitment and, and uh, the campus and diversity, we are also waiting a little bit to see exactly if those trends are real trends or uh, if we are going back to a sort of uh, another level of normals. And, and I think it's important to, uh, to not take too, like decision too fast based on few data that are not probably gonna be a trend. So um, yeah, we are a little bit cautious on this and, and we are mainly focusing on making the experience a bit better, taking care of mental health as also uh, Daniel and Rob men, like mentioned. Yeah. I think, uh, making sure that we are helping the transition for hiring manager, for the TA, for like how to manage a team remotely, how do you manage a team of 20 recruiter remotely, 100%. Uh, those are new skills that we need to build before taking decision on, uh, on data that are just very fresh. No, and I think that really raises a good point that you mentioned. One of the things that you focused on doing wasn't just on um, turning into virtual um, events from recruitment fairs that were physical, but also that you spent some time really trying to um, give those skills and tips. Um, yeah, capability is a big, big topic for for PepsiCo, and and. Uh, working remote 100%, dealing with your extra fatigue, this new fatigue of Zoom, dealing with uh, your mental health, dealing with your work-life balance, all those new skills that uh, uh, we need to teach our teams and, uh, and that we are really uh, focusing on developing capability for the manager also to be able to take 100% digital decision, these type of things. Uh, we are really investing a lot on capability. So it's a big agenda for us. Yeah, a very a very busy time, I think. <laughs> well, enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much. I mean, it's been great to hear both about the challenge, but also the more overarching um, strategy and the priorities that you've got um, for, for for now, but also for the future. So, thank you very much, Amen and, and Mara. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for inviting us. And so we now move to our third. Um, and final section of the webinar, I'm now going to be joined by um, Stefan Bigal, he's Global Head of Recruitment at Volvo. Um, Stefan was actually moving um, to the in-house model about four years ago and has, has finished that implementation um, and he's going to tell us a little bit more about that. Um, Stefan, a big, big welcome to you, thank you very much for joining us. Um, in the last few years, um, the last four years, uh, you've, you've been undergoing in-housing. Um, how's, how's that been going? How many people have you been hiring? Tell us about that. Uh, thanks for having me uh, and for having us. Um, and uh, I first thought I was going to show presentation, but given how um, it feels more interactive not to do that, uh, I will just uh, speak from the top of my head instead. So um, moving into in-housing in general, I mean, we realized about five, six, ago, five, years, five, six years ago that um, given that people are our greatest asset, uh, why would we give the ownership of selecting our people to a third-party provider? Uh, so we then made a decision to move in-house and did so globally. Uh, and uh, that was also part of us wanting to have a greater ownership, uh, not only of the gold medalists, but maybe uh, the, the entire long and short list. And we also um, thought that um, having more dedicated recruiters with uh, 
with one focus that is being serving us and our agenda and not necessarily a, a third party provider who is more looking at the uh, ringing the bell and, uh, and, and making a profit, but uh, rather making a long term profit for us as a company. Uh, and then, of course, uh, cost was an issue uh, because we have hired tremendously over the past uh, 10 years uh, since we were acquired by, by Geely. Uh, and um, I mean, since 2010, when we were 23,000 employees worldwide, we were last year about 45,000 people. Uh, so we increased with around 22,000 people in, in 10 years. Uh, and uh, uh, from an in-house perspective, I would say over the past four years, we have hired approximately 4,500 to 5,000 people, uh, and that's just in Sweden. Uh, and then, of course, uh, quite a lot of people around the world as well. Yeah, that's that, that's a lot. So it's uh, given you a chance to test the model, at least. <laughs> uh, definitely, most definitely. So how do you feel the main benefits then um, have, have come from the, the new in-housing? You know, does that differ over markets? I would say that, uh, I mean, having um, dedicated recruiters that support a designated area. So we don't have a ton of special uh, generalists that, that um, do everything. Um, and we have a more a, um, let's say, a functional, um, where we divide our recruiters towards working either support, uh, towards R&D or our commercial business or our corporate functions, etc. So uh, that um, you have uh, specialists recruiting within the same area over and over and over again. Uh, so they're a candidate network, their business acumen of our business uh, is, is highly uh, increased towards to being a more generous serving everybody. Uh, what we also committed to when we went in-house is to offer the same service uh, for internal recruitments as for external recruitments. And we do about 1,500 to 2,000 internal recruitments per year. Uh, and uh, that, of course, has increased the quality substantially in-house, uh, which has been highly appreciated by our managers who um, uh, back in the days had to run the recruitments themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So really being able to focus on replacing, uh, moving people around rather than uh, focusing on external all the time. That makes big sense. What, what about different markets, though? Is there? Is there any markets that in-housing doesn't really make sense or isn't so well received? Well, I would say that uh, depending on how mature the, the recruitment market is in general, that's where we've seen some differences. Uh, we have quite a lot of operations in China and there the market is still uh, more interested in working with third-party providers, especially from a candidate side. They don't want to necessarily expose themselves directly to a company. Uh, so they, are, they actually want to have, let's say, that... Uh, um, a piece in between, uh, while in um, uh, the more Western world, we see that we have a, a bigger impact when we recruit ourselves than when we use third-party uh, providers. Uh, so there is a little bit difference to depending on where in the world we, we recruit. Um, but then um, I would also say that for certain specialist areas, I mean, if we talk really specialized people, of course, we still use some uh, exec uh, headhunters, etc. But uh, Overall, it is a very small amount where we go outside of our own environment, so to say, uh, because we have the competence and the know-how to serve our um, population of managers with the needs they have. Sure, that makes sense. What about uh, retention? When it comes to retention, any any benefits, any notable um, statistics there? 
Well, uh, given that, uh, I mean, we have recruited quite significantly uh, and, and added heads. So retention is in general a huge topic for us um, because we, of course, want to increase the tenure that, uh, that our members of staff have with us. Uh, and uh, given that we can follow our, our say, new employees or candidates in a, in a much better way than we even could before having the, the entire uh, and also the employee life cycle, uh, where we are deeply connected with them, um, and the other parts of HR, uh, I would say we give ourselves a better opportunity to um, both uh, at an early stage see, okay, how's the onboarding uh, worked out, which we help out with as well. Um, is there anything that we need to change in order to, to make sure that we keep our people long? Uh, so I would say uh, constantly being able to, to learn, adapt to, um, to our ongoing processes to um, increase the, the number uh, when it comes to retention. Yeah. Okay, that, that makes that makes good sense. Tell me about the strategy with your own uh, recruitment team that you have in Sweden. Well, I would say uh, when I put that in place um, about three and a half, four years back, um, I recruited highly senior uh, recruiters uh, in order to quickly bring value uh, to, to the business. Uh, and uh, since you need to challenge and uh, and uh, and drive your managers. Uh, you cannot have two junior people. Uh, so I would say on average, the people have 10, 15 years of uh, either commercial or other in-house experience before they join us. Uh, and I also want to have a versatility that uh, in terms of not only being able to recruit, but uh, also um, um, be able to support with other parts. Uh, it could be succession, it could be um, um, organizational changes uh, where you need to look at um, at your setup from a different perspective and that's where our recruiters are used quite uh, quite significantly so it's not only about recruiting it's only supporting the business with other uh, let's say manning related matters okay yeah interesting and, and and when we were talking before around covid i mean we've just heard um, both from PepsiCo, uh, from Dan, from Rob, that there are quite a lot of um, advantages that they found in the in the digital um, in the digital um, onboarding and the digital change. Um, you feel that being in house has really helped you to weather that 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 crisis a little bit better as well. Why do you think that is? Uh, well, given the versatility and also the seniority of our recruiters, I mean we've had a rather extensive redundancy process uh, in in Sweden where we have the majority of our white color workers uh, and um, there we actually switched the user recruiters to support the organization with uh, creation of uh, job and competency profiles and uh, so we could use um, our in-house capacity towards something totally different than uh, they were hired for to do uh, initially. Um, so I would say that um, if you have senior people that, that have a good understanding and a deep understanding of their business area they're supporting, they will also be able to be utilized in a different way than just bringing on board people, but then also helping out with potentially exiting people. Uh, and uh, so we have worked quite a lot over the past six months uh, supporting with that. And that took, of course, a lot of pressure off the remaining uh, HR staff uh, who otherwise would have had to focus a lot on this. Uh, and we also were able to offer a different, uh, let's say, uh, um, thinking and, and, and ways of working, given that the recruiters had quite a long experience from the outside of Volvo World, while uh, otherwise our HR population is quite seasoned, if one can say that. Uh, so there aren't that many, let's say, new ideas. So I would say that um, that mix of new and old uh, really uh, helped us out uh, and also brought a lot of value to the business. Yeah, okay, that makes good sense, especially being able to um, 
reassign in in times of crisis staff that really understand the business, really understand um, you know the different roles and everything else, and the people within that business to be able to reuse them to do something slightly different. So I think that that's a really good point. Um, what are your what are your three top tips? For companies that might be looking um, to move from outsourcing to in-housing um, as a model, what, you know, what should people be aware of? What should they keep in mind? Uh, well, I would say over the past four or five years, the trend in general is to do more on your own than than uh, only um, uh, working with outside parties. But before putting an in-house function in place, uh, I would ask myself, okay, why do we actually want to do go in-house? I mean, what is the purpose? Is it cost-related? So we want to have a more cost-efficient um, uh, recruitment, or do we have, want to have a more increased quality? Uh, so depending on what one is after, there are of course different and setups you, you can choose. Uh, I would also ask myself, okay, why? What areas do I want these recruiters to to focus on? Is it uh, high-volume junior recruitments? Is it uh, bread and butter, mid-size? Is it more? What areas you want them to focus on? You would then also choose what types of recruiters you're you're going to hire. Uh, and what we found a little bit of challenges with is uh, the, um, the organization initially accepting how challenged they were by the recruiters when they came with uh, job descriptions or when they came with recruitment strategies uh, because they had their old way of working, which they thought worked somewhat well for them. Uh, and when we then introduced a new model, uh, also a lot of focus on diversity, inclusion, and uh, uh, just how do you bring your, your name out there, uh, it, was, um, it was quite tough for them. So it took about a year to really get the full commitment and trust from the organization be, and we had to prove ourselves many, many times before uh, the line then actually said, you know what, this is superior value for us. Uh, and the last and, and most, I would say, important uh, tip is, and I've spoken with a lot of companies who want to adapt our model, uh, that is um, hire senior people. Uh, and uh, because if you go cheap when you hire recruiters, um, you will get a um, inferior product. Uh, so um, they will cost a bit more, yes, uh, and uh, it might upset some people that, that you bring on board recruiters who, who make quite a lot of money, but uh, your return on investment will come so much quicker uh, because at the end of the day you, you get what you pay for and uh, yes, my recruiters are somewhat higher paid than the average, I would say, especially in in-house functions, uh, and, uh, but I also have higher quality than most others uh, and that's of course what the business at the end of the day is, uh, is expecting. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think it comes across many different things as well. I mean, you get what you pay for, so. <laughs> Definitely. I think that makes really good sense. Um, in terms of efficiencies, um, we've really heard that efficiency is, is the, the most probably mentioned word um, across this webinar. Um, and I think that's what you're telling us really in, in terms of being able to um, deploy staff in other ways and being able to have better retention, being able to be better at recruiting the type of qualities and, and, and people and talent that you need within the business. I think that would be fair. Um, yeah, I would also say that, I mean, looking at the just sheer number of recruitments that, uh, uh, that the staff uh, I have can, uh, can manage per year is substantially higher than, than, than many others. I mean, if we look at uh, uh, mid-senior to senior positions, I mean, a, a average recruiter uh, on my team manages between 35 to 45 of those recruitments, and that's quite a lot of uh, search included in those, which is substantially higher than, than most, um, uh, how do you say, um, 
third-party providers can, can can assist you with. And on top of that, they run between 75 and 90 internal recruitments as well. So I mean, just the sheer volume they can manage, of course, with efficient systems and, and, a, and a good ATS, etc. Um, but and that also comes down to seniority. So, I mean, the, the better equipped the people are, and the more you will get out of them. Yeah, no, absolutely, which which makes perfect sense. Well, that's great. Thank you so much for your top tips um, and, a, and a bit of an insight into, you know, moving into the new in-house um, model for, well, new four, five years, six years ago now, but also for your insights and, and how that really helped you in terms of the, the, the COVID crisis as well. So big, big thank you very much, um, Stefan, for your... Thank you. Thank you again to everybody else who's joined us on the webinar. A huge thank you to Imen and Maria from PepsiCo. Thank you very much for your interesting insights. And of course, a big thank you to Rob and Daniel who joined us first um, on the webinar and gave us some fantastic stats and some brilliant insights into digital and the new normal as we're going into. And we don't know where we're going next. I think there are some countries with some new lockdowns. We hear about the UK with half-term lockdown perhaps around the corner um, certainly there's lots of different areas being locked back down um, in Spain so one thing we can be definitely sure about is there's still a lot of change um, that's coming and so it's important that we look at it both from a challenge perspective but also as we've seen on this webinar the huge amount of opportunities that can be brought through change as well. So that leaves me just to say a very big thank you to everybody. Um, thank you very much for joining us. Please do join us on our next one. And we'd love to hear any feedback, um, as always, from anybody, um, either panelist or um, attendee to this webinar. So a big thank you and enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Thank, thank you. you, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.